are going to continue in our study in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. We're almost out of chapter 22. Hopefully we'll be out of it soon, but not really, because it's so good. It's so good. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I love coming to church. And I was, it's going to be a little weird at first, but just hang with me. I was in the restroom washing my hands and looked up at the mirror and there was a nice little note that said, we are so happy you're here. There are also other little notes in there, but that's the only one that I remember because I'm happy I'm here and I'm happy that you're here because this is an opportunity for us to just gather together as family, as friends, as fellow Christ followers to do the best that we can to figure all this stuff out, to hold each other accountable, to hold each other in prayer, to encourage one another and to just do life together. That's good stuff. It's hard to find that anywhere else. Amen? Because you really don't find it at work very much. right? Your neighbors, eh, maybe. And even in churches sometimes. But let that not be said of our place. I love what the ladies did on Friday and Saturday. I love that they're continuing to do it from here on out. Men, we're working on it. We're working on it. Just be patient. What does it mean to love though? I love a lot of things. I love golf. But I'm not going to give my life for golf, right? I love soccer. I gave a large part of my life to soccer, but I wasn't going to give all of my life to soccer. I love Toyota Tacoma, but I'm not going to give my life for one. I love my family. I would give my life for them. I love this church. I give my life for this place. And I love God. And he has my life. All that I have is his. For him to use as he sees fit. However, there are some times where I kind of take it back. And so I have to ask myself when I do that, do I really love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength? You see, when I give all that I have to Sally, there should be no portion that I take back for myself. It should be all hers. When I give all of myself to my kids, there should be none that I take back. I should give all that I have. When I give all that I have to the church, I shouldn't take any back. And yet, when it comes to our relationship with God, we have all the right answers. We know all the Sunday school stories and Sunday school answers. But when it comes down to the basics of loving him with everything that we are, there are times where we take things back. So I ask myself, do I really love him? With everything. Let that sink in. Again, my goal is never to create doubt or hurt your feelings or guilt you. My goal is to take scripture, open it up, and let the spirit do its work. So silence and quietness does not bother me, just so you know. Because I know it means you're thinking. I know it means that what was just said, the Spirit's using to work inside you, and it's uncomfortable. Great. That is a great place. This is the only place where I would want to go and feel uncomfortable. Because I know the one that loves me, the one that has created me, the one that knows me best, is working on me to get rid of what is not good for me to replace it with what is good for me. 
And so the uncomfortable spots that we get in, that conviction like we like to call it, is good. It should allow us to love him even more. Because love is hard. Love is difficult. Ask any couple. It's not the ushy-gushy emotions because those run out real fast. But it is a choice. It's a commitment. It's a desire to love my spouse the way that God Christ loves the church. In this passage that we've been crawling through, did you know, did, are you, have you lost sight of the fact that this is Holy Week? Remember, he rode in on the donkey already. A co- for us, it's weeks back. For him, it's only been a couple of days at the most. And he is in the midst of all of these people teaching some solid stuff. In fact, he's no longer teaching on the surface level. None of this is surface level stuff anymore. Think about the last few sermons that we've had. The things that he hit were deep. They were monstrous. They were challenging. And they were challenging even to those that knew the law better than anybody. But he's done dealing with the surface stuff. Why? Because his time's running out. And he is done playing the games. He took the time in the previous two and a half to three years to do all of that, to bring people along. And now it's a serious moment. He's far more intentional in his teachings. And I believe, in some ways, the teachings that we've been receiving, whether it's on Wednesday night or in our personal studies or in churches all around the world, I believe his teachings are becoming more intentional. And the reason I believe that is, I have friends that'll call and say, your sermon was exactly what I heard down in Florida. Now, it's not because we talk on the phone as a big group of pastors and say, here's what I'm preaching on, here's what we should say. But it's because the same spirit that guides me and moves within me is the same spirit that guides and moves within them. And it's the same spirit that is being very intentional to get the awareness up of what is to come. It's to grip his believers to say, hey, buckle up here. Like, it's getting serious. You need to get moving in the right direction And I believe what we are going to learn today is that he's telling us love him with everything. Because a life of love reveals a submitted life. If you don't know that I am Sally's husband, then I'm not doing something correctly. Because the way that I treat her, the way that I love on her should show that I am committed, that I'm submitted to her. That I love her with everything that I have. Amen? Okay, just making sure that I didn't lose you on that one. Because to understand what it means to be fully submitted to God, that is a relationship that helps us. It's a relationship that Paul uses to help us understand Christ's love for us, his church, the bride. And in this passage, we are going to find Jesus again being challenged by the Pharisees of what is the best commandment of all. And he gives it to them, but it's basically along the lines of you need to live a life of love. And living that life of love shows that you're submitted to him. So, let's jump in. Are you excited? Hope so. I am, if you can't tell. Verse 34. Now again, if we were to go back to verse 15, the Pharisees come to him, he shuts them down. Then the Sadducees, which are on the other side, kind of like a um, Democrat, Republican going back and forth. You can kind of picture it like that. Not to that extreme, but a little bit. 
And so the Sadducees came, they got shut down, and now the Pharisees are coming back again. And actually, the Pharisees really didn't come the first time they sent their disciples, remember? Verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. They're like, oh yeah, here's our chance, boys. The Sadducees thought they had it all. We have it better. He shut them down. He can't shut us down. So it's almost like we're going to one-up them. Can you see it? Like, it's so sad to me, but that's what they do. Because we would never do that. (laughs) Then one of them, a lawyer. Now, when we say lawyer here, this is not like a lawyer like we think. A lawyer in this sense is someone who can explain the Mosaic law, to give understanding and foundational truth behind it. They're not arguing court cases or things like that. They're just explaining and helping us understand what the law is. Okay? So... Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, now we see that they're not playing anymore. They are intentionally coming at him. Teacher, which again is more of a, it's supposed to be a, a term of endearment, a respectful thing. That's that they're, they're kind of mocking here. They say, which is the greatest or great commandment in the law? Now, in just a minute, we're going to see that we're not just talking about the Ten Commandments. There's so many more. But he says, which one's the greatest Which one's the best? Out of all the laws we have, pick one. Jesus says to him, I love it. He's so good. But again, he's not playing around anymore. And he's quoting an Old Testament passage. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now in Luke, and I I believe Mark, they add strength. It's not adding anything to it, it's just another portion of it, because if we go back to the Old Testament passage, it's interchangeable there, there's some other things that are, uh, uh, I think strength is there and mind is not, it's it's one of those two. But he quotes to them a passage that they should already know, a familiar passage, one that they would have defended, one that they would have explained, one that they would have known better than anybody and pushed towards the people. Love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. That's what you should do first and foremost, is what Jesus is saying. But he adds, he says, this is the first and great commandment. If we're going to pick one, that's it. Love God first. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, well, I appreciate you wanting to just pick one. But there's a second one that's just as important. It's just like it. Meaning it's the same response. Because if you look in the first one, our first response is to love. That's an action. It's something we should do. And he says the second great commandment, if we're going to pick another one, just because you only asked for one, I'm going to give you two. He's like, it's like it. It's just as important. It's the same type of action that you should be doing, that all mankind should be doing. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some of you just got an out because you hate yourself. You don't like certain things about yourself. So you use that and say, well, I don't like this about myself, so I don't have to love them. Come on. Let's be real and honest. There are certain aspects of our lives that we don't like, but we all deep down love ourselves. But we use these other things outside of there to focus on, but deep down we are all sinful, prideful, selfish individuals. 
And so if I want to love Sally, I need to learn who I am in Christ first to where I can love her the way that she is supposed to be loved. Because if I love her the way that I love myself, it's not going to go very well. And then he says this. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, I found that to be a very interesting statement. But he's saying, listen, let's go back into the Old Testament teaching. Let's go back to all the laws that were there and all the prophets, every one of them that spoke. What was their main message? Christ is coming. Love God. He said, if you want to take all of their teachings, you can hang everything that you've ever heard or been taught on the two commandments of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I love that he takes all of those many laws, 613 that they created, and 10 from Moses that were from God in the Ten Commandments. That's a lot of them. He pulls it down to two. And you know what I love about those two? Nowhere in those two commandments that he gives of love God first and love your neighbor, does he even mention us? Is that not surprising to you? Shouldn't there be something in there for us? No. Because what's in it for us comes on the back end. When I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, it makes me a better person. When I love my neighbor as myself, I learn to treat people the way that they should be treated because they are created in God's image. It changes my perspective. It changes my outlook. It changes the way that I live life. And so Christ, once again, in the middle of Holy Week, on his way, his journey to go be crucified for our sins, he is accosted once again by the smart guys. And he handles it brilliantly. So let's look at that. So again, Pharisees, they are the guardians and interpreters of the law. They were strongly, strongly committed to following the law. And they had divided all the laws up to small laws and great laws. Kind of like the white lies and the big lies like we do. That's just a little white lie. It's a lie. And a commandment is a commandment. There's no, some commandments are bigger than others. They're all the commandments. If they were given to us by God, then guess what? We get to follow them. Which again, they come to him and say, which one's bigger than the others? And Jesus is like, you are missing the entire thing. It's not about which one's bigger and which one's smaller, but to love God first and your neighbor as yourself. That's what it boils down to, fellas. But the Pharisees were so smart. They had such a great understanding of the law, but they were horrible on people skills. Horrible. They were more about the works than over the relationship. They were more about the doing than the being. They were more concerned that people were following the law to the letter, but weren't worried about how they were treating everybody else. They were worried about the outside. They were not worried about the inside. Now, when all of this started, all the way back with Moses, it was to deal with the inside. But it had morphed into something more than what it was supposed to be. And as long as outside I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, then you're just going to have to assume that my heart's good. Wouldn't that be so much easier? Internally, I can think and do whatever I want to do. As long as I'm showing up to church and praying and have my Bible in my hand and pay my tithe, people are going to think that I'm religious and that I've got it going on. Well, let me tell you one person that will not be fooled, and that is God. 
Because God sees the heart. He cares not about the outward stuff. Remember, there are many passages in the Old Testament and even referred to in the New Testament that he's not concerned with the outward stuff. He is concerned about the inward actions of your heart. That's what he is most concerned about. Now, if you're thinking about this and thinking, well, these are spiritual men. These are leaders of the, the nation of Israel. They're, they're the, the law guys. Like, they know the scriptures inside and out. Surely that's not true. Surely they loved people. In John chapter 8, we find a passage saying this. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. We're talking about Jesus. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Now, we could say, oh, well... That, like she committed adultery a couple days ago, and they caught her, so now they're bringing her a couple days later. In the act. Look what they say. And when they had set her in the midst, not privately, not quietly, but they drug her sadly through the middle of the temple while everybody's in there, and they plop her right in front of Jesus where everybody can see. Who wants to sign up for that? Not me. I'm not interested in that. But that's what they did. Instead of handling it the way that they were supposed to, they were more concerned about the acts rather than the relationship. They were more concerned about uh, making a fool of Jesus and not caring about this poor soul who needed the love of Christ. They said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. First off, what were they doing there to catch her? They didn't care about people. I grew up in some great churches. I really did. I mean, it formed me, gave me a great foundation. But looking back, there were so many things about the way things were done. It was not about the relationship, but it was about the doing. It was about the rules and the laws and the regulations. Now, I do not regret going, growing up that way. I do not regret any of that because it really formed me and helped me to think in certain aspects of my life. But I do not want to be a pastor that puts works over relationships. Do I expect you and pray that you will do what is right? Absolutely. But I'm going to love you first and come alongside you to help you in your moment of weakness, in your moment of despair, in whatever it is. Because your relationship with me is more important than anything. But it's even bigger than that. Because if our relationship is good, hopefully we will spur each other on to love God more. Because that's my goal. That's my job. That's why you got me here, right? To spur you on, to encourage you, to challenge you, to push you in the direction of God. To teach you, to show you, to model for you how to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if I am too busy doing that my being is lacking, then I'm not doing my job right. And by the way, that doesn't go just for me. You have coworkers, you have neighbors, you have family members, you have children. That if you're too busy about the doing and not living it in front of them, not allowing the Spirit of God to change who you are, if you are more focused about money and providing and being that person that you think you're supposed to be, rather than going after God and being who he created you to be, you were missing out on so much. 
Amen. I'll help you out on that one. I realize that's not comfortable, but it's the reality. And if we are honest with ourselves, we are human beings that get distracted very easily. We get distracted with the doing. Well, I'm making this, and I'm doing this, and I'm providing this for them. That's fine, but where are your kids? Where's your wife? God is not concerned with our doing as much as he is your being. He wants your heart first. Because if he can get your heart, then he's got you. And that's what we want from him. As we continue through this, we think about the laws that he's put out there. The original law was the Ten Commandments. Hopefully you know those. If you don't, I would encourage you to go back to Exodus chapter 20 and look at those because they're kind of important. And then they came up with 613 more. Sounds like America, right? Just keep adding to them. But the reality is those laws were there for a reason. They were there not to tell you what you can't do, hear this out, but to protect you from what would hurt you. That is a different perspective than what we have. I look at a speed limit and say, well, they're just trying to keep me from driving fast. No, they're trying to protect me and the other drivers around me. Now listen, it took me 40-some years to get to that. And I still don't agree with it. But it's not my opinion that matters. Hello? Don't commit adultery. Ah, come on. Is it really that bad? Yes. It is. It's going to destroy your family. It's going to destroy probably some friends that you have. If you're in a church, it could destroy your church. It could destroy your job. It can destroy your finances. Adultery is bad. Doesn't matter what you think about it. Doesn't matter how it makes you feel in the moment. It's bad. Pornography, bad. Drugs, bad. Should I go on? But listen, we laugh and giggle about that kind of stuff. We're like, we already know that. But do we? We watch stuff on TV that I guarantee you God would not be okay with. But we rationalize it away. Well, I don't really believe that, but we laugh at it. And listen, I really hate that he gave me that example because he's just stepping on my toes right in front of you. I'm just trying to hold back the tears a little bit because that's what we do. But I love God with all my heart. With all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. Do you, Alan? Do you? Do you? But I, I go to church. I pay my tithe. I read my Bible. I pray. So you're busy doing and not being. You see, the doing does not create the being. But the being, what I'm supposed to be, will absolutely inform my doing. Every single time. And the Pharisees had it backwards. And Jesus is trying to reverse it. He condenses them to two. Love God, love others. Now what's interesting is. What's the key word in both of those? Hmm. Next week's sermon will be on that topic. What does that mean? What does that look like? Because I can promise you we're all screwed up on that. 
But it's the common thing. Jesus looks at him and says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Why? Because, well, you love in the first and I want you to love in the second. Pharisees oppressed people with the law. You ever feel oppressed before? Probably at workplace a little bit, right? Maybe at some of the churches you grew up in, you felt a little oppressed. Pharisees do that. But Jesus, Jesus freed the people through a relationship all the while honoring the law. How many times do we go back through in his teachings and his dealings with other people, does he say, hey, I'm not here to abolish the law. The law's good. But I'm here to make it better. Don't commit adultery. That's a good one. Don't commit murder. Highly recommended. Don't lie. Have a good witness. Pretty important. Don't want what your neighbor's got. Don't get the, the, the keeping up with the Jones effect. Like, not a good idea. Like, those Ten Commandments are not there to steal our fun and our joy. They're there to actually protect us and give us more joy. Whoa, yeah. Just like 30,000 eggs for kids that are coming up. Let me tell you, that's going to be pure joy for them. <laughs> that's awesome. Good job, Eli. <laughs> Yes, well, well played. And listen, what's neat about this is he's not pulling new stuff out. Remember when, when right after, um, uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, right after he did the Beatitudes, he started pulling out the, um, the commandments and saying, hey, you've heard it said before that you shouldn't murder, right? But what did he say? He says, it's not even about the murderous act, the physical act. Let me take it deeper. He's moving from here where they are and taking it deeper. He's saying, really, murder is in your heart when you hate somebody. Oh, so you didn't like that one. So let's talk about this one. Well, don't commit adultery. Well, I've never committed adultery. I've never slept with another woman. Jesus said, what about your mind? He's not doing that here. He's coming straight at him. Straight in the eye and saying, hey, if you're asking me what is best for you, If you're asking me, what's the greatest commandment? Let me tell you what it is. Love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. No hidden agendas. Here it is, and you ain't doing it. And then he says, and if that's not enough, let me just add to it. Because the second one that I want to give you is just as important. It's just like it. Love others. And to me, they were doing neither. They were loving God on their own terms. They were loving God in the way they wanted to do it. And I'm afraid that is what many churches are doing today. Let me tell you something about our church. I don't want to do church the way that I want to do. I want to do church that God wants us to do. I don't want to preach the way that I want to preach. I want to be his vessel to be poured out the way that he wants to pour me out. I don't want to understand scripture just on my own understanding. I want his spirit to dive deep and to reveal to me exactly what it is he's trying to get us to say and to understand. I don't want to do it my way. My way is awful. It's not good. In fact, it's really weak and it's poor. But in him, man, it's good. It's so much fun. It's challenging, it's rewarding, it's joyful, it's sad and hurtful, it's all of that stuff. But in him, it is safe. It is safe. He's not pulling new stuff. 
It is in the crux of his moment of getting ready to go do what he's finally here to do. And he's not pulling any more punches back. He's just simply clarifying what is most important. And look at it. Again, look at the very last part of this. He says, on, on these two commandments, just those two alone, you can hang every teaching you've ever heard. If you go back and look at all the stories, I guarantee you, I would bet everything that I have that you could boil it down somehow, some way to either loving God or loving your neighbor. Jesus, God in the flesh, the living word of God, living and breathing in front of us, sharing with us what's the thing we are commanded to do more than anything else. In the flesh, Jesus, God says, love me first and love your neighbor as yourself. It is his whole story all the way through. And who does it best? Jesus. Jesus does it best. All things rise and fall right there. All of it. Everything that Jesus was trying to accomplish sits right there of loving God first and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Properly loving God correctly sets our lives. If I can understand, what does that mean? When I'm supposed to love him with all of my heart, does that mean that little heart-shaped thing that we always picture our hearts? By the way, in case you didn't know, your heart really does not look like that. It's not the little heart-shaped thing. It's this massive muscle that's just gross looking. But that's not where Jesus lives, just so you know. There's not a hidden compartment in your human heart that when you say, I'm going to invite you into my life, he comes in and opens the door and steps in. That's what we think. But the reality is when we invite him into our life, when we submit our lives to him and he inhabits us through his spirit, it is in our heart because the heart represents our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's everything. When I want to be all about him and I want to love him with all of my heart is saying with every fiber of my being with every physical act with every word spoken with everything that I look at with everything that I hear with everything that I think with every emotion that I feel I want to love him how do we do that exactly We all have different answers. Guarantee you're trying to answer in your head right now. Well, I would do this, and I would do this, and I would do this. And I would say, you would do? See, I think one of the things that can help us is to understand, what does it mean to truly love? One of the things that Charlie used to do with his um, premarital couples is, that's what he would ask. What does it mean to love? What is love? You realize that's one of the hardest questions to answer, believe it or not? We all think, oh, I've got the perfect scriptural answer. Come on. I appreciate that. But most of us don't live by our scriptural Sunday school answer of love. What does it mean to really love? And that's what we're going to look at next week. But for the sake of where we are right now, properly loving him, figuring out what that looks like. When I can love God with everything that I am, it um, perfectly sets me in motion in the direction that I need to be going. Everything rises and falls right there. That's not my words. That's what he said. You love me first and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that you can think of rises and falls right there. Watch this. In Romans, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to what? Huh. Owe no one anything 
except to love them. For he who loves another has fulfilled the what? Wow. All I have to do to fulfill the law is to love God first and then to love my neighbor? Sweet. I just wish it was that easy. There's a lot of people I don't love. <laughs> Let's be real. A lot of people that are tough to love. But Jesus didn't give any caveats for that. He just said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Hmm. You ever heard the story of the Good Samaritan? It's a Jew and a Samaritan that absolutely hated each other. Jew gets beat up. Samaritan takes care of him. That's your neighbor. The one that you hate the most. And why are they your neighbor? Because they are created in God's image, whom he desperately loves. And you're not called to decide on who gets to be loved and who doesn't. You are called to love as you are loved. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. wonder where Paul heard that before. We were talking earlier, we wonder if Paul was in the midst of those Pharisees as they were testing Jesus. Maybe he already heard this and now it's coming back. But look what he says. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. For the Pharisees, it's do this, do this, do this, do this. Jesus says, no, learn to love. If you can love, all will be just fine. The Pharisees looked at the works, which were the external stuff. But Jesus looks at the heart, which is the internal, the the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's getting deep, isn't it? Just love Jesus. That's what we've heard all our life. It's so much more than that. It's so much. It's it's how I think. It's how I feel. It's what I do. It's, It's every part of me. I don't get to take a break from it. It's who you are. And when I was a soccer player, I lived and breathed and ate soccer. Everything I wore resembled soccer. I had more soccer ornaments than you could imagine at Christmas time. Because it was defining me. It's who I was and I loved it. Shouldn't that be said about our love for Jesus if we really love him that way? Okay, good. I'm just making sure. Here's the reason why. If all the commandments hang on that, and if we are to love others to be the fulfillment of the law, here's why. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now this is a separate time when Jesus was speaking, and he's already shared this before, so it's not really a new commandment, but he's challenging them in their thinking. Because obviously they didn't get it the first time. He says, so a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How has Christ loved you? Unconditionally. No questions asked. But he wants you to not stay where you're at either. I can love a lot of people and I want them to be better for Christ's sake, not mine. He says, by this, here's the, here's the thing for me. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As a believer, there should never, ever be a racial divide. Ever. 
If that's deep within you, you better start confessing now and let Jesus work that out. Because that's not okay. It's just not. There should never, ever, in a believer's mind, be a problem with a less than rich person and a very rich person. It shouldn't be. In a believer's mind, there should never be an issue based on smell or clothes or their ability to sing or what they're able to offer. There should be no respecter of persons. Jesus said, if you want people to know that you're a follower of Christ, love one another. I think one of the places that we struggle with that the most is right here in the church. Not just our church, just in the church in general as believers. We are so critical and harsh with one another. We hold each other to standards that we don't even hold ourselves to. Jesus said, if you want people outside of your church to know that you're a believer, learn to love. Learn to love. And where does that start? What was the first commandment that he gave? Love him. You got to love him first. A life of love reveals a submitted life. If I learn to love him first, it will change who I am, which will help me love others. And Jesus said, if I can learn to love others, people will know that I'm a follower of him. A submitted life is a life of love. As the praise team comes, let me ask you a couple of questions. Oh, are they not on there? So anyway, (laughs) nope, I don't want the eggs again. (laughs) There you go, thank you. Here's the first question. What is more important to you, being right or relationships? Now, I, I will admit that when you come to me for counsel, I want to be the one giving the right advice. But I'm not going to worry about that as much as loving on you first. I want to give you the right advice, but I want our relationship to be where it needs to be. But the relationship may not be all it can be if I can't tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And I want the same from you. It's not about being right. It's about being truthful. It's about being scriptural. But it's about that relationship as well. That is so important. And sometimes I think we get more tuned up about being right over the relationships. Here's the second one. When we see people, do you see them with eyes of love? If I can be honest just for a moment. Yesterday I was watching a basketball game and in my mind, there, I, I just struggle with um, mouthiness. And I just felt myself getting so irritated with one of the kids. And this morning, as God always does, as I'm praying in my office before I came out here, he's like, you, you probably ought to deal with that before you get up there and preach about this. And I had to confess my anger and my frustration toward a kid I don't even know. But because of what he was doing, I just got angry. 
Why can't I go talk to the kid and try to build a relationship with him? Try to love on him and see what God might do with that. But Alan, it's much easier just to be mad and pray for him. You're right. It is so much easier. I just perfected it yesterday. But I'm, I don't want to be a Pharisee, man. I don't want to just talk the talk. I want to be able to walk the walk. And I want to love people the way that Christ loved them. Do you notice every time he was accosted by the Pharisees or the Sadducees, there was only a couple of times where he really came at them and called them a brood of vipers or whitewashed tombs. But most of the time he spoke in love to them. Why? Because they're human beings. And he valued the relationship over everything else. There are some co-workers, there are some neighbors, there are some family members that we probably need to use the eyes of love on them. And honestly, again, not trying to guilt you, but the altar really should be full on that one today. Our eyes are growing dim with love. Amen? We're the church. We're the ones that are supposed to be really good at this. But you can't do it on your own. You can only use the eyes of love when you're in the presence of Christ. And we need him every single time of that. Thirdly, do people know that you love God? Do they know? When they watch you interact, when they interact with you, when they watch you live your life, do they know that you are a follower of God by how you love people around you? And those are tough questions. Those aren't fun. I don't like those. No. But if we really want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we want to love our neighbor as ourselves, it is time we, as followers of Christ, start being really honest and allowing the Spirit to guide us to the answer that we need to hear this morning. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for being so good and so great. Thank you for the simplicity of your word. God, forgive us when we don't love the way that we need to love. And Lord, I am excited about what you have in store for us next week of opening this up. And I realize and recognize how big it is. But I pray that you would keep us in a nice, good focus. But Lord, may my eyes not grow dim in love. God, I felt my own heart just starting to get irritated with people lately. And Father, I don't want that. That is a spirit of not you. God, forgive me of my critical spirit, of my non-loving spirit. Pray, God, that you'd restore the love for people in my heart and in my mind and in my soul. Give me the strength to love people even when they irritate me. But God, help me not to be an irritant. I can pray all day that I don't get irritated with them, but may I deal with them in a way that doesn't irritate, but that produces an avenue for them to experience you because of the love that I have for you and I have for them. May you move in the hearts today. God, give us the courage to start moving, to do something. God, we need you so bad, so bad. In Jesus' name, amen.